Welcome back to the Gods the Ghost Volleyball Podcast and your host Scott Bemke for part two and the conclusion of our interview with six-time Open winner on the beach, including the 73 Manhattan Beach Open Championship and also 2016 California Beach Volleyball Association Hall of Fame inductee Fred Zulich. Enjoy. Sweet. And there was a host of middle-aged guys in a middle category like I don't know if I want to say Rick was middle category. Woody Brooks, you know, a lot of guys that were just okay players, but they were they were good players, you know. So Skip Allen, uh, Larry, uh, I forget Larry's last name, but a lot of good teams. There was a lot of good good teams in our in our era. At any time, any of these guys could could win. So that was that was one thing that was really good. I heard Skip Allen could really hit the ball. Oh God, he could snap it. His his partner, what was his name? Larry. They called him Boomer. Boomer Milliken. Larry Milliken, yeah. Larry could hit the ball harder than, than Skip. He had a whip on him that, honest to God, it was it was abnormal. He would go up and and it wouldn't look like he was even up there, and he'd snap the ball, and it was like past you. Skip hit it hard, and you could see it, but it was hard to dig him. But but Larry hit a ball. Milliken hit a ball. You couldn't even see it. It was just so quick. You know, so everybody had their own style. Rick Shaw hit a heavy ball. You could see it come at you, but it was heavy. When it hit you, it was hard to dig it because it moved your whole body. Shamalas, I used to call him one tup. He'd hit it and go, one tup. It would just, like, he'd hit it and it bounced in the sand up in the air about 20 feet. And you're going, he was impressive in, in, work, in warm-ups. I'm going, this, this isn't that great. So we had a lot of guys that were really good players. I mean, and there were strategicians. I was more of a strategic player. I could hit the ball pretty good, and I could hit it pretty hard. But I wasn't in that category. And when I went up, I had shots. I had a lot of control of the ball. I knew I had some shots that were hard for the other guys to get. But those guys, when they'd hit, you know, you know how it goes, Scott. You can hit the ball as hard as you want, but it might come back at you just as hard. So you had to hit it hard in the right place, like my partner Dennis. He didn't hit it hard, but he could place the ball. You couldn't. You, you, it was hard to find him because he already knew it. Cooper was like that. So we had a lot of good guys that could hit the ball, but, but were maneuverable. Best probably all around was Jimmy Mingus. He could put the ball where you never were. I don't know how he ever did it, really. He like was he just one of those hard. guys that was, uh, yeah, I've, I've heard his mental toughness. And then I also heard he was one of the best overhand diggers that ever played, too. Oh, yeah. Yeah, yeah. He dug overhand. Cooper dug overhand. I actually dug overhand because I, I got really close to the net. I never comfortable put my hands down. Maybe I was afraid of my face getting meshed. So I would always go a little closer to mid-court, staying, staying three-quarters court back, and hold my hands up, and I would dig balls the same way. I, I could dig it faster because my hands were quick, and I could see it coming at me, so I could overhand dig. But Jimmy was was, was the best. He was good at it. He, was, he, he, knew how, he knew how to cut the court down, so you had to hit a ball over his head if you want to get past him. But, of course... You always thought you could hit it harder, and you couldn't dig it. Interesting games, interesting players. Most importantly, what was that after party like after you won the Manhattan that Friday night? I wish I could remember. <laughs> you sorry, or else I figured you'd say something like, "We're still partying, we're still celebrating," you know, right? You know, <laughs> well, it was at the middle of my of my hiatus, I think, playing because I had retired in '79. I think. We all went to, oh, gosh, now it's going to escape me. It was a restaurant that all the bar people went to, right on the corner of the pier, almost the pier. Oh, Shellback? 
No, it was across the street. Gosh, I wish I could remember it. But it was the rock and roll party where they went to at every single end of any tournament in that area. That's where they'd go. There was a backyard. There was inside bar. There was a back end of the bar. And it was, it was hilarious. I mean, it would just be completely inundated with volleyball guys, volleyball girls. I mean, I remember going in there, and of course, you got a million good wishes and probably a million beers. I probably drank way more than I ever should have. But we were celebrating having a good time. And, uh, you know, then I had to drive down to San Diego the next day. And when I went down to San Diego, you know, you're driving down to San Diego, and it still doesn't hit you. It really doesn't. I remember driving down. I don't know why I remember that, but I remember driving down the coast down by uh, uh, Camp Pendleton. It was just just quiet, and I was driving down thinking, shit, I just won the Manhattan Open. I still couldn't believe it. It was too hard to believe. So when I got back down in San Diego, I got a lot of calls and well wishes, and you know, obviously they had all heard about it, but yeah, it was surreal. I got to be honest; it was surreal. Yes, I'm proud of it. Yes, I have a name out there, but you know, it was just weird. Like, I've got one. You know, some of these guys got eight, <laughs> so I don't even know what eight would would feel like. But you know, it's your day in the sun. And Bobby played great. Bobby was a good partner, good friend of mine. So you still keep in played. touch with him, or yeah, we stay in touch. We we played every Manhattan Open together, with the exception of maybe one. We took no worse than fourth. We took probably three thirds, two fourths, and a, and a and a and a win. So every year we played there, we always played fourth or better. We always played really well. And Bobby was a he was a, he was a grinder. He was always one of those guys that he would argue. So when he started arguing, I just go sit down because I knew it was going to be a long one. So I just go sit down, <laughs> let Bobby do the commissioner stuff, and he'd argue points, he'd argue sand, he'd argue whatever he wanted to argue. He was good at it. And now he's in Arizona, and I stayed in touch with him. I'm going to go out one of these days and play golf with him. But uh, just just even talking about it just brings back more smiles. The party's after these games. you got to realize, everybody at the day you play, you're competing. You like the guys, but you want to beat the hell out of them. You go to the party at night, whether it be Manhattan, Santa Barbara, uh, Corona Del Mar. Corona Del Mar and Santa Barbara were the two of the best places for parties. And you would go to these same guys' houses. You knew where you're going to go. All the guys would be there with his girl, their girlfriends, or wives, or just anybody. And it was the happiest time. There was never problems. There was never trouble. You left Always. it on the court when you got there. It was all about camaraderie. Uh, absolutely. I, you know, now occasionally there would be a time where someone would still be stinging over the loss, or a, or a bad call, or you know, so and so. Yeah, yeah, gotcha. yeah. Somebody would still be stinging over it, but most of the time it was left out there. I mean, you know, what are you going to do? I think everybody was was grown up enough to realize we're having fun. We're not doing this for a living, so let's just enjoy it. So the parties were just as much fun. And I mean, you became friends with these guys for 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 almost for life. You know, we've lost a few, of course, but they were always somebody that you were good friends with, and you always had some sort of a. A story with you know all of them, even guys that didn't play as much guys that would show up to tournaments like you've heard the story of Captain Jack guys like that who were volleyball statisticians I don't even know how they could remember that stuff so it was just one common giant family of people and everybody was cool how neat uh, that's one of the things that you know when I talk to Von Hagen or Lang um, that comes up often is that you know when these guys like i think they 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 and chris morrow mentioned this that when when that gentleman passed away you know a whole encyclopedia about the history of the sport went with him and um it's important that you know we find ways to you know get these guys and their thoughts and their information down before you know it's too late so i think that's what's neat about talking to von hagen and lang now and getting information from them and um, but yeah, I heard Jack, Captain Jack, uh, he saw and was around for all of it. He had an amazing, the only guy that could get close to him was Greg Lee. Greg Lee had either a photographic memory or something. He could remember plays in games that were on their way to getting into a, the, the semis. I don't, I don't know how he could do it. He was amazing. But Captain Jack, 
I don't know how he did it either. He must have either written it down and memorized it. I don't know, but he knew things that every time we thought we knew, he would. if he corrected us, we knew that he knew. So we'd go, okay. He was that good. He was that good. He knew everything, and and uh, <laughs> just a pretty amazing guy. Funny guy, good guy, but he knew that he knew that the sport. So now the guys that you've got, that you can capture what happened. You got Von Hagen. I listened to a lot of the tapes. Ronnie knows a lot of stuff that I don't think any of us knew. He goes back to guys that you know, Bernie Holtzman, and back to Manny Sands and people that we barely even knew their names, but we knew who they were. Dave Bordwell seems to be a name of someone he's David always fond to talk about. Yeah, those guys, I saw those guys play a little when I was young and I wasn't playing. Bordwell was not a very tall guy. Um, um, there's another guy who's a good friend of mine, I can't think of his name, Spike Bortz. I don't know if that name came up. Yeah. Spike Bortz was very short, but he could jump and Bordwell could jump. Spike can, you know, Bortz and Bordwell. They could play together, and they were the two smallest guys that could beat guys out there that were much, much taller and bigger. Wasn't Bobby Garcia somewhat of a smaller guy, a 5'9", 5'10", guy, too? Yeah, he wasn't 5'10", I can tell you that right now. Yeah, like maybe 5'9". I I saw a a picture. A friend of mine, Mike Hayes, um, had recently sent me the uh, Sands of Time, the... um, the first edition of that, and that's been kind of neat to read. And and, there, and Bobby was uh, one of the pictures of one of the people that I've been reading up on from that time period, which is always kind of neat to see, you know. Bobby was a right sider, and he could play. I remember he was like the other guys. He could get up, hit the ball, and maybe he didn't hit it hard, but he hit it where you weren't. That's the way these guys played. They learned to play with what they had. And some of these guys did really well with what they had, and other guys did okay and maybe didn't as get as far as they wanted. But that was the guy, Bobby, I told you. He was the guy that told us to serve the sky ball. That was one of the reasons we won the Manhattan Open. The smoker so wasn't working in that one until later, but the, the sky ball did, huh? Yeah, the smoker wasn't. They just laughed at it. These guys <laughs> laughed at my smoker. Yeah, these guys going, okay, well, you can follow a spin serve. You know what a Spencer was going to do. You just had to follow it. So it wasn't going to float or move around on you. So really, that was a very hard hard serve to make somebody that's really good on the other side crack on. No, you had to serve a floater. Or you had to serve line serves. You had to serve rainbows, sometimes very short serves. But very rarely did you ever hit a and then sky balls. But rarely did you ever serve a spinner because everybody could watch it. So, nope, that's how that one went. It was pretty interesting. Yeah, well, to have your name on the pier is a pretty special thing. And are you not? Are you affiliated with Fonz's now? No. The restaurant. No. The, how that came up was when I was inducted into the Hall of Fame. That was one of the guys. I think it was Rick. He's a commentator. Uh, um, RC. No, it wasn't RC. Anyways, he was a commentator. Jim Arico. Pardon me. Mm-hmm. He was uh, the guy in the ceremonies on the uh, introductions, and he was the guy that said, and here's Fred, if you don't see him on the court, you'll see him at Fonz's holding court, uh, talking about real estate or golf or whatever, and that's because for a long time in the last couple, three years, I used to go to Fonz's Friday and Saturday night, sit on the bench, have a glass of wine, and then go and have dinner, and then go home. It was like a fixture. I enjoyed it. It was fun. It was simple, and I knew what to do, and it was great. You could see people. So that's how that became it. But my friend Danny that owned it, he ended up selling it, so now it's kind of a different situation. But no, I had no affiliation with Fonzas. Okay, well, yeah, the reason I ask is, I mean, now that you're selling real estate in the South Bay, I mean, how cool is that to, like, just walk on over there and be able to see your name up there with Bright and O'Hara and Von Hagen and and uh, everyone else that's a, a pretty amazing uh, you know it doesn't get any better than that the Wimbledon at Beach Volleyball so congratulations to you that's pretty pretty impressive for a guy who picked the game up late like that uh, just because he couldn't go out in the water <laughs> that, that's, that was a true story it, it's funny because I don't really ever go out to watch that thing on the pier I go out there if I'm walking out with a girlfriend or a friend of mine we're out there then I'll, I'll point it out or I'll tell them to go look for something go look over there but and then you, you know you are proud of it. I mean, obviously that's something they can't ever take away, and it's it's a it's a it's a golden moment in your life. But I never, really don't resort back to talking about it much. You know, if I'm talking to it like you or somebody else about volleyball, 
and we go into the catacombs of the past and we can bring it up and then stuff like that comes up because all my friends always say you realize he won the manhattan open they still do that when i'm talking to somebody they're going you realize you're talking to a guy that... i said bobby whoever it was at time just don't say anything it's not that it's embarrassing it's just i don't live in the past i really appreciate what happened and it becomes a part of the conversation scott then i'll talk about it but i don't I'm in, I'm in real estate now. That's what I do for a living, you know, and I want to be merited on what I do now. The volleyball is part of your life. Great. It helps me coordinate with some of the people coming from other areas that learn the sport. And they said, did you ever play volleyball? I said, well, I played a little bit out there. You know, I enjoyed it, but I don't have a result back to it. Um, probably because I don't need to. I think you got other important things going on in your life now, which is, you know, not everyone could say that. Like yeah, Bergman, some of like Bergman, you know, look what happened to his life when the, he didn't have the sport anymore. That's, you know, as sad as that is to bring up. Um, it was sad. And Henry was really not a talkative guy. He, he didn't say much. He was kind of the, I think I wrote in that little blurb on Messenger, I said, quiet guy with a big arm. I mean, the guy, he was known for what he did, and he did it very well. Outside of that, I don't think Henry had much of a life. I'm not even sure if he lived with his mom or what. It really doesn't matter. But I remember driving down Santa Barbara State Street one day and seeing Henry on his bike riding. Just looked like he was just enjoying himself. Um, so I don't know all the situations happened afterwards. But I don't think he had a lot of other interests. And I don't know what that comes from. Is it because I don't know if there was any drugs? I don't know if it was alcohol. I don't think so. But regardless, you know, when you're stuck with one thing in your life and you haven't gone to another thing, you're living in the past. And I don't ever want to live in the past. I'm proud of the past. I love the past. Talking to you about the past is great. All the guys and girls that we met that were part of it, they're the greatest people I've ever met in my life. The best athletes I've ever seen. But that was then, and this is now. So it's a reflection. It's not a desire to live there. Right. You can go wade back in it from time to time, but... Just can't yeah. stay there. No. Good advice. Let's, um, I know you could probably list 50 as opposed to just five, but if you had to list the five best hitters that you faced or got to watch at some point in your career, who would they be and then who would be in your top five defenders list? Hitters would be Henry Bergman, not in any particular order, by the way. Henry Bergman. Tom Shamalis, see, I'd have to clarify this one. Hardest hitters or best hitters? Because Greg Lee was one of the great hitters, but he wasn't the hardest hitter by any means. So if you're talking about the hardest hitters, if that's the category you're reflecting, Tom, Henry, uh, Kurt Kilgore, that's three think of the other guys who we're playing with hard hitters you know Dane Selznick was a hard hitter he was really a hard hitter and Tim Spees let's put those two guys in there Tim Spees hit a ball like a freaking rocket I mean it hurt he was a lefty correct he was a lefty and he's a good friend of mine went to El Segundo and that guy hit a ball as hard as anything I've ever seen I mean they're all <laughs> quick but and Dane hit a really hard ball. Dane hit a really, really hard, quick snap ball. So I'd say those five guys right now. Dane would probably could be interchangeable with a number of different guys, but for now it'd be those five. All right. So five hardest. Who were the just the five best offensive players then? If you had to pick, um, you mentioned Jimmy Mangus was one of those guys that could like a like a Tom Glavin pitcher in his prime, where he could had every pitch in every corner of the plate it sounds like yeah so if you're talking now the five best offensive players i'd put jimmy there i'd put ron lang there i'd have to put vonnie there too because they didn't win games by hitting balls into other guys digging they put balls that were hit hard but in places that you couldn't get so i'd say ron and Ron, Jimmy. Now this is a good. I'm going to tell you. Next two guys weren't really in my era, but if you're talking about, did they have to be in my era? They can be any era. You've seen, and from what I understand, uh, 
done some coaching, and so you've probably seen yeah. a lot over the years. Yeah, I've seen it. Gene Selznick was ridiculous. That guy had more talent than you've heard the stories. They say he's one of the best of all time. I didn't see him in his prime, but I saw him in his closest prime. He had he he could work the ball. You couldn't even. I mean, he's just like a joke. He could just like pull you on a string. He had a great hit, but he also had a great shots. He just had command of the ball. So those guys, he and Jim and Ron and Ron. If I had to pick another guy, just trying to think. There's so many guys that were so good. You mentioned Greg Lee could was a heck of a hitter, huh? You know, I'd have to say probably Greg. You know, because Greg, he'd hit a ball. He most of the time he'd hit a ball, but he'd hit it where you couldn't get it. And he had shots, but he didn't use shots very much. Usually, when the ball's up there, Greg just kept hitting away. But he was a great offensive player. I mean, he didn't get dug very much. See, I wouldn't put Tom and those guys in it because they were hard hitters, but they didn't have a lot of shots beside that. They had them, but they weren't as effective as some of the guys we just named. I think those five guys. I'm sure I'm leaving guys out that were very commanding on the offense, but uh, they were really good. Hooper was pretty good. He could control the ball pretty well. He's a pretty good offensive player. But again. Because of his size, even though he could hit it, he was a little more readable. Some of the other guys were just shot makers and hitters, and they had the whole game. So that's who I'd give you those five. And defenders. Uh, wow. Defenders. Yeah. Ron Lang was probably one of the all-time best I've ever seen. What made him he, so good? What did he do? You know what? I, I don't know. He was always in the right place. That's all I can tell you. I remember watching him. He'd be down in the sand, and he he was in the sand. He was bending down. His knees were in the sand, and he'd put his hand out and dig it with one hand. This is what caught my attention when I first saw volleyball. The ball's coming down at a speed, you know, when Rundle's hitting it and, and Bergman's hitting it. That ball was down, but he'd pop it up with one hand. I mean, he'd go straight up in the air. He would just wow the crowd. So he was probably... One of the best, one of the best of all kind. Jimmy was very good at defense. Jimmy could get balls. He was quick. He stayed close to the court in the middle, so he cut down about three fourths of the court. If it went over his hands, it usually went out. So we all knew that when you're a middle court digger, or overhand. So he was a very good defensive player. Hooper was crazy. He could dig. That's why they call him Scoop when he was first coming in a volleyball. Scoop. That was his nickname. He could dig everything. He was great. I mean, he was he was very very exceptional to the defense. So I've got Ron, Ron, uh, Mengus, Hoop, Mengus, Hoopy. Ah, I gotta think now. Now it gets into this. So many good players. I think who were the guys that were you couldn't get the ball? Oh, Matt Gage. Matt Gage. Matt Gage, he was another guy. He just knew where to go. And he could dig it overhand, underhand. He could run. He could. He was. He could. He sensed where the ball was going. And I played about four or five tournaments with Matt. And I think every one we played, we got third. Every one. And uh, I just. He was. He was in. You had to pay attention because he would get balls that you would kind of ride off that was gone, and you have to be ready to go set. Kind of what I did with Ron when I first played with him. I never thought he could get the balls he got to, so I'd stand around looking around. <laughs> I, I, a couple of times he, he looked at me he goes come on come on I said Ronnie I didn't think you could get it sorry but yeah he was so fast I mean I had to learn a whole different game never think the ball's down when he's on the other side of the court he would just run stuff down like that most he ran it down like a gazelle I mean he didn't look like a fast guy he was muscle bound and you know he was he wasn't he was life versus muscle crazy but the guy was so fast I mean ridiculously fast you, you not he was deceiving that's what i mean you, you would expect some guys to be quick he was so fast and you didn't expect it that's why he was so good he got things on defense and if he's looking at just putting the ball down and can do that and then have that speed on the defensive side that's a tough guy to beat and when his partner's as good as he is that's a tough team to beat was uh Gary Hooper, the guy that would go to the Santa Barbara matches dressed in like a cape and a helmet is Dr. Digg or something like that and challenge people. To, to... I'm trying to remember. Was that him? It, it could have been. Uh, I don't know. He, I put nothing past Hoopy. Hoopy was 
Hoopy was a rare individual. He had he had a whole different persona. He 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 was so. I played with him once in a tournament. It was the Legends tournament in in Laguna Beach. I don't even know how they came up with this. It was like five teams or six teams, and he and I were supposed to play together. We didn't design it. They told us who we were playing with, and he would yell at me so loud. Get that ball! You're not getting that ball. You're you're wussing out. I mean stuff like that. And I finally had to look over and say, "Gary, if you talk to me one more word, I'm going to smack you." I did. I said it in the middle of the match. He was he was so intense that and he would and he would tell you like he'd yell at Ob all the time. Ob just would turn around and say, "So what?" Didn't care. He rolled off his back. But Hoopy Hoopy would he would go after his partner. He was a he was an inter- interesting guy, but a very good athlete. I tell you, he's a, he's an incredible athlete. He liked the longest him. arms I've ever seen on a guy. Long as he's like his his little five nine or ten body, his arms would go up like this guy six two. I mean, it was incredible. He liked to That's take a drag of a cigarette every now and then after a match too, didn't he? In the earlier years, I think he did. Then I think he put it away. I don't know if he ever put it away because of his girlfriend or because people said that ain't cool or I don't know, but rarely. And sometimes I'm sure it wasn't a cigarette. I'm sure it was something else. So <laughs> Hoopy was rare. Hoopy was rare. I remember one time, this is a God's truth. I was playing in Laguna Beach and Gary was playing and I, I don't know, we were, we were waiting for the next round or something. And I see this EM, the hot, uh, ambulance come up. It was an ambulance or EMT come up and I see Gary walking over and the guy's walking him over and I said well what happened someone said he hit himself in the stomach so hard he strained his muscles the, the God's truth he hit himself not somebody else he hit himself I've seen him do it before we've all done it but he either didn't tighten up enough he hit himself so hard in the stomach he strained the muscle and they had to take him off Wow. Uh, you will find anybody else who remembers that story because I remember it, and I, I didn't know if I was laughing at the time or if I was just my jaw was at the ground. I couldn't believe anybody could do that. Although Hoopy, you could see him doing it. He it was, was wired that he, way. But so he was wired that way. Yeah. Remember, I told you certain guys on comp- competition. There's a guy who didn't want to win, who wanted to win more than anything in the world. Then there's the guys that don't want to lose. And I don't know which one had the bigger drive. I think the guys that were afraid to lose had an extra battery pack because they were so afraid of losing that they would play a level almost above the talent that they had. And some guys had such good talent, they would play a lot. Mingus was like that. He'd probably hate it if I said that, but he hated to lose so bad that I think he actually played better of his, because of his fear. You could, when he lost, you couldn't talk to him for 30 minutes. You, you couldn't even get in the neighborhood. He, he, he'd be the guy at the party still talking about it. He goes, I can't believe that guy beat me. Rarely did he ever say that guy beat me because he won almost every tournament. But I just remember talking to him. I played with him once. We played. I played the right side. And we talked about it in Santa Barbara because his partner was gone. Greg was gone. And Dennis wasn't going to play. So I said, well, let's play. He says, can you play the right side? I said, I can play the right side. So we took third at Marine. And again, I thought third was pretty good. He hated it. <laughs> I said, Jimmy, we didn't do that bad. We didn't play together. I, you know, I'm on the right side. We got third. He goes, yeah, we could have won it. I said, well, possibly. <laughs> he just had a different, he had a different look at things. Losing wasn't an option. Let's put it that way. Wow. He would have been a great Navy SEAL. <laughs> Losing is not an option. Right? Yeah, absolutely. Um, you had mentioned the 68 Manhattan Beach Open. And like from everything I've ever read and heard, that was what was considered to be like there's never been more impeccable, perfectly played volleyball than what Lang and, um, and Von Hagen and Bergman and Rundle exhibited that day. You were there and watched, watched that, that match yeah. and those matches. I was, in, I, was in, I was in the stands. I remember it. Yeah. They, they, they beat them in the finers, the finals of the winners, Von Hagen and, and um, Lang, and then they played them again in the finals. So it was literally like six hours of volleyball. Oh, no, it, was, it went forever. I don't remember who won, and I don't remember what bracket they were in. I was just because I was, I was so young in the game. I just remember the game. I was so infatuated. And remember, remember, this was played in a semi-dark. 
So you've got people on the sidelines watching, and the ball was hit, and then there was a dig, and you, all you heard was somebody yelling, go get it, go get it. And then we realized it was done. A lot of the times you couldn't even see it. It was that dark. But they're on the court. They could see it pretty well. I mean, it was the most, it was, it was ridiculous. It was absolutely ridiculous. You had four surgeons on the court, surgeons, and playing in the dark when nobody else could see and they could still play. I mean, that's, like I said, they had to go up and turn the lights on in the parking lot so that it would at least put out a glow where you could see the ball being played. I mean, that was nuts. I, like I said, I don't even remember who won the tournament. But those four players instilled, and I'm sure not just me, I'm sure a lot of guys, a lot of gals, a lot of people, that was the best volleyball I had ever seen. To this day, I think, the best I'd ever seen. And I didn't even understand it. I just knew it looked good. That's the sad part about this. You know, if you hear about these great baseball games or NFL games or college basketball games from the 50s, 60s, 70s, there's like some black and white footage of it somewhere and you can see it, you know, on NFL films or ESPN Classic or something right. somewhere. And for this stuff, it's like all you've got is the people who are there and their stories. And, you know, if there's a couple Robbie Hudis or Artie Kuvion photos out there, but it doesn't do it nearly the justice. So that's why I appreciate being able to hear it right from the, the mouth of, you know, great players like you who, who saw it with their own two eyes. It's pretty amazing well, stuff. I think if you ask most of the players that, you know, average good whatever they're all going to be able to tell you the truth if they do tell you the truth they're going to tell you that plus probably the best games they saw weren't ones that they played in you have to recognize that you know there's a time to be realistic you know i mean yes you could say well i did great we did great and that's wonderful but really let's talk about who really was that kind of a player and some of these players ahead of us, you know, I didn't play against Mike Bright, but I saw him play. I didn't play a lot against Butch May, but I saw him play. Uh, O'Hara, I saw play. Mike was a good player. And also I saw um, Keith Erickson play. Now, Keith Erickson and and uh, Gene Selznick, that was like watching, you know, oversized players. Keith was Gene wasn't, but they looked like it when they were playing. It looked like they were playing against kids, but the other side, other side was playing as almost as well in a different look. So you got we'd all looked at these guys as being the great players. Now everyone's going to tell you, and I'm sure they're probably accurate right now. The best all-around given player in volleyball was probably Karch. Now I've heard the story with what Ronnie said. They said he thinks it was Gene Selznick. I can't compete with that argument because I don't know. I didn't see Gene Selznick, so maybe if I would have saw him, I might have thought differently. I know that he was called Mr. Volleyball, and I heard he could do everything. So he might have been better all around than Karch. I don't know. But all I know is I saw Karch play in, in indoor and outdoor, and he was pretty amazing. I mean, he didn't look that amazing. He didn't look that devastating. But he had the same logic. He could find where you weren't, and he could put the ball away. He could dig balls. He just had a second knowledge of the game. But my point earlier was there's so many good players, and they all are good in their own ways. Not everybody was a top-notch player and winner, but each guy had his talent level, and he played to the best of his ability. And if you got to the AAA ranks, Scott, anytime you got to the AAA ranks, that's one thing. To repeat it, and get it a couple more times, you validated it. Some of these guys got it, you know, 10, 12, 13 times. So these were good players, but they were all different. It's just, it's hard to describe. Every baseball player is different. Every, you know, wide receiver is different. Right. They all have certain things in common. But the volleyball game was just different. It was amazing to watch the little guy go up against the big guy and beat the big guy and then watch the big guy you know, come back and beat another big guy. It was just, it's just, it was just a great sport to watch. Great athletes, and by the way, I think volleyball players, in my opinion, are the best athletes all around. They all played basketball. A lot of them played tennis. A lot, a lot of them played other sports, which gives them their hand-eye coordination. 
And then I got into volleyball, which on the sand, it's probably one of the hardest sports you can play all day long, jumping out of the sand for all day. That's that's probably the best athlete that I've seen. And I'm not saying it because I'm prejudiced because I played. I th- I'm talking about the other guys. I just think that's that those are the best athletes. I'd have to agree with you specifically on the beach volleyball side. Um, speaking of the big guy and the little guy, when they incorporated the rule changes to the smaller court and rally scoring uh, yep. around 2001 or 2002, whenever that was, um, yep. what are your thoughts on the game since then as far as beach goes? And then um, I'd be curious to hear your take on if you played old rules like you played, um, big court side out scoring best out of three to eleven or one game to fifteen. What would your strategy be against a team like Lucena and Dalhauser? I'd run. <laughs> no, you wouldn't bust, just bust out the sizzler. Just give him a the smoker. Thanks for letting me play second. No, my smoker wouldn't even get close to those guys. <laughs> you first, you're, you, know, you gotta know. You gotta know, man. Like. Dirty Harry said, man's got to know his limitations. Um, um, The rules, you know, I like the game of volleyball. I don't go down and watch it much, but I have. I really like watching it on TV because the fortunate part of TV is you get to do the replays and they hone in on slow motion, and it's really good. You get to see a lot of the sport that you don't see because when you're watching it, there is no replay, right? So you kind of want to see it that way. I don't mind the rule changes um, on the rally scoring you know, it's a different kind of a game. It's faster. They did it for TV. They didn't do it for any other reason. It was done for television because you couldn't go two hours with one match side out. Nobody would watch it. Nobody would, would record it. So they had to do that for television. And it became, I thought, interesting. You still had good games. And the only issue I had was once somebody got off on a really good run, like say you got off on a 5-6-0 to run, it's pretty hard to beat those guys now they've got such a lead that if it just sides out back and forth they're just going to win by the numbers uh the, the short court i'm not a fan of the short court because i think what it did is it took away the need to move and that's the big player and the guy who's a less you know smaller player could cover more court it was more easy to watch him, a lot easier to watch him go back and get a ball in the background and come up and play and be able to compete in that size. Now that you've got the court short and smaller, they did that because they wanted more defense. I don't care what they say, I'll never believe anything other than they wanted more defense. Now the big guy doesn't have to move 13 feet, he only has to move 5 feet. And they can cover the wingspan, so you're going to see a lot more digs. True, the serves are going to fall a little short, but that's not how a lot of these teams win by serves. It's by digging and, and passing and putting the ball down. So I don't, I'm not a fan of it, but the, but the one thing that I don't like, and I think it's the worst rule they've ever put in volleyball, is the point that gets off the tape and falls down. Oh, the, the left, lat serve? The, I hate that. Here's why I don't like it. And I think it actually happened in the Olympics. I'm not 100% sure because I don't remember, but... Let's say you're watching the gold medal or you're watching the Manhattan Open, and the, it's just been a great game like the 68 game we're talking about or any of the great games that you've had so many. Now you've got a guy going back. The people have been out there for an hour and a half, whatever. And a guy goes back and he serves. And he's he, let's say he even misses. Well, he's probably not trying to hit the tape because nobody has that quality, that talent. He hits the tape. It rolls in. The game's over. Wow. What an exciting finish. I just don't think that that's the way to play the game. Oh, I, I think agree. That's, I don't see any reason to even put that in because they do it indoors. A lot of the guys, I think the FIVB had something to do with that. Because it's indoors, they brought it outdoors. I don't think, if you ask the outdoor players, I don't think, I'll bet you if they were really honest, Scott, I don't think they like it. I think it's a, it, you're, in other words, you're being, you're being rewarded for, for a, a mistake. Miss. The net is there as an impediment to get around. It's there as a as a uh, a barrier to get around and play around. Same in tennis. So you don't get it in tennis. If you hit it, let serve in tennis, you serve it over. I mean, there's no logic. I don't see any logic in it at all. It speeds up the game. Well, it doesn't speed up the game that much. There's not that many of them. What's the point? So I think that was, I think it was interjected 
through the FIVB, but I, I'm not 100% sure. I just think that's a terrible rule. Agreed. So if you were playing Dalhauser and Lucena, aside from uh, pulling your uh, dirty, hairy move, um, what would uh, what would your game plan be against those guys? You and Bobby Jackson are playing them. You and Von Hagen, whatever. What would uh, the game plan be? Um, side out scoring, no blocking over. Oh, um, no blocking our, our rules. Yeah, your rules. Yeah, our your rules. rules when you played back in the day when it was best out of three to eleven or, uh, and then that you know final game to fifteen, what have you. Um, what would your you strategy know, be? I think the very first thing I would go to is a sky ball. I don't know if it, it affects those guys, but if we serve the sky ball high enough and long enough in the back, they have to pass it all the way to the net and make a better play. I think I would start with that with the guys that size because you get them anywhere around the net and they hit the ball, it's, they could be five feet off the net and it's like another guy being right on the tape. So I think that I, I would try to consider going deep with a sky ball or even a roundhouse, a very high floaty serve that comes down the back line. You see them serve that today. It makes the guys back up. They have to decide if it's in or out. If they don't pass it and it falls in, they, get a, they lose a point. Otherwise, they have to pass it. Now it has to go from the back of the court, 30 feet to the front by the net, and get set well. Yes, they may pull it off 10 times in a row, but if you do it enough, eventually they're going to they're gonna fail. To try to serve them off the court, these guys are big. They're good. They're fast. So I don't think you're going to serve them off the court. Defense, the only thing you can hope to do is that you've got them off the net hitting and you're back defensing. But that's the only thing I think we would do. They wouldn't be able to block over. Our block would be a joke. It would be like, you know, toy gun against a tank. It wouldn't make any difference. <laughs> uh, and I'm not belittling us. I'm just saying these guys are so big now, 6'5", and I'm 6'1", and Bobby was 6'3". It's, that's not going to happen. I don't know. We'd have to set the ball further off the net and be able to hit it. Now, we could all hit the ball off the net pretty well. But, you know, the guys now are just so big and so good, I just think it would be very, very difficult to beat guys like that. The guys we had in the back years that were big, they weren't as big as fast as these guys. These guys trained specifically for a whole different way that, than we played. It's a speed game. And so I just think these guys in full court would be hard to beat. But that would be the strategy. I would serve them deep so they had to always bring the ball. We did that when Dennis and I played. We served everything deep, even though they knew it was coming. Dennis Harris. Yeah, they had to bring the ball all the way from the back line, all the way up, get a good set, and your chances of getting a bad set is much easier from back there than it is if you try to serve them in the middle of the court. They're going to pass and set, and it's going to kill you. So I would do it that way if it was me. And I think if you ask Jimmy and Greg, I'd be interested to see what they'd say. I would really be interested to hear what Jimmy says to that. Yeah, I hope to was- talk to him next weekend. Yeah, it'll be interesting. Be sure you ask him that question. I'd be interested to see it. Don't tell him what I said. Just see what he says. All right, I won't. And then uh, for my final question for you tonight, um, for those who want to know, what are you up to these days uh, as far as occupation? Where do you live? Hobbies that you're into? And uh, what, uh, what, what your life today entails? Well... A lot of my life today is around my job. I'm a real estate professional. I've been doing it for 36 years. I grew up in the South Bay, so I'm working in the South Bay, PV, El Segundo, Manhattan, Hermosa, Redondo, everywhere. So that's my office, so to speak. So I've been spending my career doing that, and I, and I focus a lot on that. I don't draw much off the volleyball from that because really a lot of the volleyball people are doing different things and live in different areas. But I, I do that. That's my main focus. When I'm not playing volleyball, I mean, when I'm, there I go. When I'm not doing my job, I try to go play golf. I'm, I'm as into golf now as I was when I was into volleyball, to be honest with you. It's a tougher sport because it's so many variables. But I like it because it's challenging. I, sort of like chess on spikes. You sort of have to figure out how to beat the course, and every day's different, every shot's different. So, it, it, and all the volleyball players, most of the guys play play golf I think because they also realize it's a very strategic kind of game so my job my volleyball I'm sorry my golf get in there volleyball and then I think you know keeping healthy you know I it's amazing but I'm 70 and I really find it hard to believe that I'm 70 
I look at myself, I see what I can do, I feel what I can do. I feel like I'm 50, but my registration is 70, so I'll live with that. But I feel like I keep my health as much as I possibly can. And that's that's my life pretty much. You know, I have great friends, uh, some of them from a long time ago, some of them from now, but those are my three focuses and my hobbies. Oh, and I do like cars. I will say that I enjoy cars. That's That's the other hobby that I have. You got your own Jay Leno car collection there? Come on, Fred. No, I've got two cars. I have a Le- I have a Tesla, uh, which is you know it's a phenomenal machine. It's just different. And I have a 2017 uh, Shelby GT350 Mustang, and that is a ride. That is so much fun. I can't get out of the driver's seat when I go someplace. I just want to get in that car and drive. <laughs> I can just, only imagine. I wouldn't want to get out either. Car. It's a race car. It's, it's built. For the track, it's not a you know drag car. It's a, it was really one of the best cars ever built by Ford. All the people that are car people say that that's the best engine they've ever built. It's different, flat plane crank versus a, a cross plane. But anyways, it's a very unique car, and I, I got one, and I'm very very excited with it. Before that, I had a Porsche. Before that, I had a Cobra Roadster. I've had a, a lot of them, and actually, I've had this one for a year. So everybody thinks. God, you must be in love with that. You haven't changed it yet. Well, I'm looking. I'm looking. But uh, that's another hobby that I enjoy. I get on the road and drive and have a fun. Let me ask you this. Do you yeah. have a, a, a puka shell necklace hanging from the rearview mirror of that vehicle, Fred? No, and I never will. <laughs> I tried to find those one day. Actually, I was trying to find them for a reunion, and I could never find them. I don't even know where they were. The first ones that I wore, I think I mentioned that. Maybe it wasn't to you. They really weren't puka shells. What they were, it's probably just as good to call them donkey beads because of the donkey that wore them. But it was a piece of leather, <laughs> and I had shells I found on the beach. I was going through a, a period where I just was earthy, and I found these shells, and I knocked a hole in them with a with a nail. And these big blue donkey beads, which you could buy at a bead shop, or there's three of them. So it was really shells that really could cut your 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 throat. I mean, it never did. It was on a piece of leather. And then when I got away from that, realized I looked dumb after a number of years i went and did get puka shells because i bought in hawaii because i've always gone to hawaii so i had the pukas you know and it wasn't anything that mingo probably said well that was your status no it wasn't my status it was just something that i did you know some guys wear bracelets around their ankles and around their wrists and some guys have certain rings or whatever you know i used to have a whale tail around my neck after that but no i don't know where those things are and it was great to be a part of the the humor i i'd have to poke a lot of fun at myself because the jokes were great we got them all the time so you know um i'll I'll give you one little quick vignette on what happened i was playing with tom shamalas in the in the corona del mar open and uh it's the only time i ever played with tommy and we got all the way through the tournament and we were at the very end and we were playing von hagen and jackson how's that right Thomas and partners it just was freaky i think it was jackson pretty sure it was and you couldn't see if you're on the north south side you couldn't see because the sun was setting and so you had to line your eyes up with the top of the net you follow what i'm saying you had to kind of so you so it shadowed and it was hot, so I was wearing a bandana, because I had long hair, and I just, some stupid reason, Scott, I was chewing gum. I don't, I don't know why, it just, I was. So, we're getting ready to receive, and Tommy holds up his hand, he says, wait a minute, wait a minute, wait a minute. He looked up at me, he says, <laughs> he was laughing, I go, Tom, what's up? Got it, what, what, what's up? Couldn't understand, he goes, you look, you look like something out of a movie. <laughs> you look like a, what do you call me? Hollywood. You look like something out of Hollywood. And he was laughing. He had to hold his hand up before they served. Well, Von Hagen heard this. He said, what are you guys doing over there? And Tommy says, I don't know. We're just waiting. We're ready to go. And then it stuck. Hollywood. And then I got nicknamed Hollywood after that. Because I had the hairband. I had the beads. I had the sunglasses on, and I was chewing gum. And Tommy was just, I'll never forget that. He cracked me up. He stopped right in the middle of the, of the surf. So we ended up winning that because it was, again, they didn't finish it, but we were winning, so they gave us the win. 
okay. where, it went, where it was. So I had a win with him on that one. But that's the last time I remember wearing the Pete's. I don't think I wore them after that. They went out on a, on a high note, though. Went out on a high note, yeah. I got enough static on those things. I think I probably went to a whale's tail by that time. I had a lot of issues I had to deal with. Yeah, yeah, sounds like it. Well, I really appreciate your time tonight. This was phenomenal. Well, I hope it, you know, I hope it, yeah, it was fun. I mean, I get to, I get to reminisce and listen, listen a little bit to what happened in my life. And you're asking the right questions that kind of bring it all back. Good questions, by the way, I'll tell you that. I think you talk to any of the guys, you're probably going to get very similar response. They're all going to get a little excited talking about the days of the past because a lot of people, we miss that. I, I don't know that I'd say I'd want to, if I could do it again right now, I'd do it. I'm glad I did it. I don't think I'd want to do it again because if I could relive it, I wouldn't want to relive it. I liked it. I enjoyed it. I'm glad it's done. I'm, I've moved on. Some of the guys, I think, you know, we've talked about a few that might still be living in the past and other guys have moved on. But it was a great time. And you guys bringing up these questions and these documentaries or whatever it is that you're, you're putting together is a good time. But the guys that you really want to speak to, are you going to get in touch with Ron Lang? I did. I interviewed Lang once already. Uh, I don't know if okay. you ever listened to that interview, but it's on the... Oh, I, I, I did. That one I would like to see. I'm yeah, to... I'll um, I'll send you the link as soon as I get off the phone here. I'll, I'll uh, send it to your... I'll text message it to you. That's perfect. Those two guys, Ron and Ron and Jimmy, will be your resource for everything that you need to know. All of us will be superfluous information after you get together with those three guys. Ours will be different stories but and different takes. Those guys have the history in their brains, and while they've got them, I would get them. All right. Consider it done. All right, Scott. Thanks very much, buddy. I appreciate it. This concludes our two-part interview with Fred Zulich. I'd like to say thank you to Fred for taking the time to do this interview. He's an exceptional conversationalist, and his insight on the sport is remarkable. So thanks, Fred. If you haven't done so already, please make sure to visit our website, which is godstoghost.com, where you'll find multiple videos, podcasts, photos, documents, and many other things to commemorate the history of this amazing sport. Thanks for listening.